It's 11.30 here on this cloudy, kind of dreary Wednesday. First day of September, and it's time for midday. Tyler Cavalli along with you. Thanks for making us a part of your day, wherever you may be tuning in. Another great show on tap for you once again. Jason Jorgensen is in with sports. Tell us, uh, we'll get closer, closer to the weekend. Obviously, UNK kicks off a brand new season tomorrow. We'll touch on that. Bob Rogan is also in. He'll tell us how the numbers are looking. There's some green on the screen that I can see right now, so we'll continue, and hopefully that will continue in the near future. And in about 15 minutes, Paul Perkins will join us for a regional ag weather update to give us a preview of what we can expect for not only this week, but maybe the month of September in terms of our ag weather update. But let's head to the Nebraska State Fair and our booth there in Grand Island where Susan Littlefield is joining us. And Susan, is it another busy morning so far? It has. You know, at one point we were five people deep getting registered for that. Wow. All right. Yeah, it's popular. (laughs) And so has been our, I've had a couple guys talk about our Twitter back and forth with Steve White from NTV. Uh We're doing a hashtag Ag Marco Polo. And it's not a competition, but we're having fun sharing some fun things about agriculture from the State Fair. So check that out. Okay. Yeah, if you're on Twitter, be sure to follow them and KRVN, everybody else associated with Rural Voice Nebraska as well. But what do you have coming up for us on Midday today? Well, we'll kick it all off here at 1219. I'll be talking with Brian Ryling. He's an associate professor of animal science at UNL. We're going to talk about the Fed Steer Challenge. It's the third year for it. And the, the demand for steers continues to pick up. And they'll be selecting that next group of kids um, come November when information will come from your extension offices. At 1245, we're going to be talking with the Nebraska Corn Growers and the Nebraska Corn Board. They're actually working the beef pit today. But we're going to talk about California ethanol and the amount of ethanol that comes out of the state of Nebraska to fuel those California cars. And then we'll wrap up everything at 117 as we talk the sorghum. They're a huge part of the Nebraska State Fair. Everybody wants those sorghum cookies. Well, I'm on good authority that they're going to have sorghum corn dogs coming this Saturday. So we'll talk about the huge, I know, the huge growth (laughs) we're seeing in sorghum in the state of Nebraska. All right. Uh, be sure to check that out. The sorghum corn dogs. Interesting. All right. Sorghum corn dogs. All yep. right. Well, thank you very much for joining us. All right. Let's uh, turn things over to the birthday boy, Jason Jorgensen. Uh, first off, happy birthday to you. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be around another trip across the, the sun. So. Yeah. All right. You survived at least one more. <laughs> I did. I did. And the Husker, the Husker sellout streak survived for at least one more week as the university and some donors came up with a plan to... Buy up those tickets and, and hand them to some youngsters. Maybe haven't had a chance to see a game before. That's a good thing. That part's good. I'm glad that some of those that may never have a chance or afford to go to a game now get that opportunity. What I don't understand, and maybe don't even like it, and this is just my opinion, you didn't ask for it, but I'm going to tell you anyway, is why do we have to have the donors extended that have to go in there and buy all these tickets to keep the, the streak alive? Well, there's some things working against it, and uh, we'll touch on that in sports. Okay, you're right. We're running short on time. All right. Sorry I took over for you. <laughs> you got off your soapbox. I know it. I know it. All right, Bob. Oh, let's turn it over to you. Stocks are a little bit higher on Wall Street with uh, the gains coming from uh, tech companies. Also, energy is slowly restoring electricity in New Orleans after Hurricane Ida knocked out power to the entire city. Is it New Orleans? Is it New Orleans? Uh, who knows? Uh, we won't define it. We won't get it done this hour. <laughs> All right. All right. What is an imperial? 
The FNBO's Fridays in the Field is underway. Be listening for farm broadcasters all across the state of Nebraska to feature different farmers as they work to grow this 2021 crop. Hey, it's Clay Patton, and this year for Fridays in the Field, we take a detour from row crops to talk with Max Creek Winery and Brewery about the grape and hops crop. Be glad to have you tag along for this year's Fridays in the Field. Join me this growing season in East Central Nebraska as I'll be following Ryan and Katie Pekarik of Rural Butler County. Ryan and Katie, along with their five children, are busy all year round growing over 30 fruits and vegetables as part of their business, Pekarik's Produce. In the Panhandle, we'll be visiting with Jason Harriman of Scott's Bluff. He'll fill us in on his family's operation with corn and soybeans. And we'll find time to talk about the forages they raise for their cow-calf pears in western Nebraska. Tune in every Friday afternoon and on our social media pages as well for the FNBO's Great Big Small Bank Fridays. Uh, Thanks. It is time for regional ag weather brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Renke dealer. Paul Perkins joining here in the studio. And, well, we flip the calendar to September 1, and Paul, it feels... Like fall already. Mother Nature did not waste any time. <laughs> no kidding. Uh, very pleasant temperatures, especially in Nebraska right now. Upper 60s to low 70s pretty much uh, statewide. But that is because of some uh, cloud cover, basically from uh, west-central Nebraska on into uh, east-central areas of Nebraska, especially expecting that cloud cover to gradually burn off. But temperatures more so over central and western Kansas in northeast Colorado, about 75 to 80, all the way up to 83 currently in Oakley, Kansas. Some of those low 70s also into eastern kansas right now yeah a big difference there from the kansas area and nebraska region and even colorado i mean nebraska we're like in this little bubble where we're (laughs) we're staying cool everybody else is quickly warming up yeah right now a warm front gradually moving to the east and that will help to warm those temperatures up for today and also help to uh, clear these skies out how about some rain i'm not going to get to that here in just a moment but it sounds like especially if you're in our western region of our listening area you may get some you may get wet Yes, uh, later this afternoon, a good chance of some thunderstorms starting to move in to the Nebraska Panhandle, especially for tonight, already a little bit of light rain over southwestern South Dakota into portions of eastern Iowa, uh, still a fair, or Wyoming rather, still a fair amount of a fair amount of distance away from the Nebraska Panhandle. Some of that rain currently from about uh, Lang- uh, Casper down to around Saratoga Springs there. Yeah, I know if you're a farmer, you're probably saying, turn it off already. We don't need it anymore. <laughs> we discussed that yesterday. Uh, driving around uh, the rural areas yesterday after my ball game, I noticed that some of the uh, fields had some of their uh, pipe already taken apart and now being ready to be picked up. So it is that time of the year. Yeah, getting to be that time. And we do have some good news in the extended forecast where uh, the long-term forecast where things do start turning warmer and drier. Uh, just a good chance of rain, maybe just to appreciate it for the settling of the dust for the next few days here. Okay. Well, for now, today <laughs> is going to be more seasonal-ish and uh, it's going to warm up as the day goes along. Exactly. And right now, once again, those temperatures in most of Nebraska and eastern Kansas, upper 60s to low 70s and once again some mid 70s to around 80 from northeast colorado into much of western central kansas but to the south of i-70 they're already starting to feel the heat in southwest kansas already up to some low 90s from scott city to the southwest corner of kansas and also into much of southeast colorado our temperatures today are ranging from seasonal in the central and east to nearly 10 degrees warmer than average in behind a warm front in western areas for tonight through tomorrow those thunderstorm chances start to increase from west to east as 
Low pressure tracks through the plains. Severe weather is possible late today through tonight in the Panhandle, where the Storm Prediction Center is placing a slight risk for severe storms. So once again, in the Panhandle for today through tonight, a lower and marginal risk for severe storms in place for central and east areas for tomorrow into tomorrow night. The main threats include large hail and damaging winds, maybe an isolated tornado. Most areas on track to see a half an inch of rain to an inch of rain with this system. Some tropical moisture from the remnants of Hurricane Nora, though, could lead to some locally higher amounts. Thunderstorm chances start to wind down from west to east tomorrow night. A quick-moving system could lead to a few more thunderstorms for Friday into Friday night, but mainly in southern locations, especially right along the Nebraska-Kansas border where a front's expected to stall out. Saturday through Tuesday, mostly dry and temperatures look to be seasonal. Long-term will be favorable just ahead of harvest. The, it will be warmer, but not overly warm. Nebraska and Kansas temperatures predicted to be seasonal to slightly warmer than normal for Labor Day through September 14th. It will be mostly dry with below normal rainfall indicated for Labor Day through the 14th for both Nebraska and Kansas. Key weather factors affecting the markets include another storm moving through the Corn Belt and some rain chances across South America. Tropical Depression Ida will continue to produce some heavy rains of 3 to 6 inches, possibly some flooding in the mid-Atlantic states and southern New England. Farther west, rain the next three days could total one to three inches across parts of the northern and central plains and the western Corn Belt. In the Midwest, there are additional concerns for flooding in parts of Iowa, Missouri, and Illinois, with more rain arriving this weekend and early next week. The rain may have some minor benefits to corn and soybeans, but right now starting to become a hindrance to early harvest. In Nebraska and Kansas, active weather in the next few days will have a better impact on the sporadic drought. Southern winter wheat areas in need of some rain right now to start planting while temperatures remain high and are sapping the soil moisture. Brazil will continue to see favorable rain through the weekend for developing to reproductive winter wheat and recharging the soil moisture just ahead of spring planting. Southern Brazil could remain active on the rain chances into next week. Argentina's above normal temperatures accelerating the wheat development. Beneficial scattered rain expected in the next few days in Argentina but may not be wide spread for argentina's developing crops there are a couple of more rain chances by next week all right so it's going to be a little bit wet here in the near future uh it's warm down south right now but if you're going to the state fair at least in the near future today uh, for at least maybe next hour or so there's a little sliver of uh looks like it's somewhat sunny Yes, uh, I think it's more of a filtered sunshine because I was looking at the Vera wireless camera uh, network uh, camera there, and it looks like it's kind of a filtered mm, sunshine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't really tell for sure. I'm thinking probably the uh, haze of, from the smoke in the upper levels mm-hmm. of the atmosphere also can bring us a bit of a haze, too. Okay. Well, if uh, you are heading to the State Fair and if you want to find a full weather forecast for today and the near future, where can somebody find that? Weather page, krvn.com. Thank you, Paul. Public Power District. A program and competition being offered through 4-H and UNL Extension is more than just raising a steer. There's a lot of education and the opportunity to do some networking. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. I talked to Brian Ryland. He's an associate professor of animal science at UNL. As he explains, the Fed Steer Challenge. Uh, this is the third year of the program. Uh, it is a program that uh, uh, challenges uh, youth to go out and find a commercial feeder calf. Uh, they could either purchase that on their own or they could... Uh, Pullest calf out of a pool that we had pre-selected, but uh, they are to feed that calf like a uh, 
commercial feedlot operation for maximal gain of performance to get that animal finished. Now, obviously, they got to break the animal and bring them in here. But in addition to just raising an animal, they also maintain detailed records, a detailed record book. They have industry connections. They have monthly educational webinars and uh, meetings that uh, help them learn about the cattle industry as well. And then that'll culminate uh, towards the end of the year where they do a showcase and an interview about what they did and what they learned. What has been some of the biggest takeaways that you've heard from these kids as they've gone through the program? Is it the third or the fourth year? This would be the third year that we've actually done it, uh, and we'll be taking applications and uh, encouraging people to participate uh, for our fourth year as we get probably into November. Um, but uh, some of the takeaways is they, they like the opportunity to really learn about the industry. They like the opportunity to, uh, uh, to meet people involved with the industry. And I think also uh, it gives them appreciation for what uh, really the cattle industry is like, and it's an affordable option uh, to learn about the industry uh, and to be involved with a beef project uh, as opposed to the, uh, the more traditional show that we uh, have here at the State Fair. I think what an eye-opening project for them because they get to, I mean, obviously here at the State Fair, you had somebody from the industry out evaluating them just like it would happen if they were in a feedlot. Uh, exactly, and that was one of the uh, ideas that we put forth when we did it, is that hey, if we want to have a live show, and the kids overwhelmingly said, hey, we would like the opportunity to show, and for some of them, this was the opportunity that gave gave them the opportunity to come to the state fair and they appreciate that but we uh, have a com- a uh, commercial cattle buyer come in and evaluate the cattle just like he was going out to a feedlot and buying the cattle today and then he's able to help educate not only the youth involved but also uh, consumers and other people that might be in the stands about what he looks for uh, when buying cattle now these cattle then will go and be evaluated from a carcass standpoint as well correct exactly uh, the cattle that we showed this morning uh, will be loaded up and transported uh, to a commercial packing facility and they will be uh, harvested. We'll go in and collect that carcass data and that's also one of the components associated with it. So it's not just how the animal looks and performs but also what is the carcass merit of that steer that they produced. So you may have perked the ears of some kids out there. How does somebody apply to be a part of this program? Uh, We'll basically have a... a, a, We will... uh, contact all the various counties and we've got a website uh, where they'll actually apply and just say hey why do you want to be uh, involved with this program and that type of thing but uh, that'll be coming out through uh, the various extension uh, county extension offices and websites that is my conversation with brian ryland he's the associate professor of animal science at the university of nebraska lincoln as we talk the fed steer challenge again if you're interested as a youth in participating Be on the lookout for that information coming out in November. I'm Susan Littlefield from the Nebraska State Fair on the Rural Radio Network. In the industry. It is time for Midday Sports. Jason Joyson is joining us. And UNK football starts a brand new season tomorrow. It does, and they'll have a new defensive coordinator this fall. Levi Gallus will be directing the Loper defense. He was promoted to the position after Scott Lewis left the Lopers to return to his alma mater this offseason. Gallus says he's seen some good things this preseason. But all in all, our speed is, is a lot different than what it's been in the past, and, and I 
You know, that's because of recruiting. That's because of Sarge. That's because of guys sticking around and being juniors and seniors. It's just all in all, we're, we're playing pretty fast right now, and that, that excites us. From what I've seen this fall camp, they look pretty good. Gallus came to UNK in the winter of 2007 as defensive line coach with head coach Josh Lynn. Now, prior to that, spent five seasons on the high plains at eastern New Mexico, where he worked with the special teams, defensive backs, and defensive linemen. Lopers open up the season tomorrow night at 7 at home against Missouri Southern. Have uh, good players on defense, some transfers coming in as well. Now, just have to cross your fingers, cross your toes that uh, there's no weather that is an issue tomorrow. Yeah, not looking forward to that. Hopefully all those <laughs> showers and thunderstorms roll through early. Mm-hmm. I was talking to the Missouri Southern head coach yesterday. He's a new guy, and he said, so help me if we get a weather delay and we got a seven-hour drive back home. Hey, well, been there, done that. Yeah, can't help it. No. <laughs> it's not like we did this. We want to be here any later as well. So that'll be on the river. That's right. And uh, in Cardi on 106.9 FM. K-State begins their season against Stanford on Saturday at AT&T Stadium. And head coach Chris Kleiman says this is a tough opener. Really good football team we're playing. Season group, very veteran group. Uh, a lot of older players that have played an awful lot of football. And I think we're going to see that across the landscape of college football. Uh, we have a lot of older kids as well. Uh, but that's just with the extra year and, and more and more transfers and grad transfers. I think you're going to just see that throughout the throughout the year. That's a solid point. The Wildcats and Cardinal kick things off at 11 on Saturday inside AT&T Stadium. That game can be seen nationally on FS1. It's be a nice one for the Wildcats to get coming off a so-so year. But then I say you look back at last year and scrub that away. Then COVID was weird for everyone. For the traditional powerhouses, they struggled. Every team obviously had their ups and downs. It would be nice if we could use that excuse for Nebraska yeah. football, but uh, we know better. Speaking of the Huskers, the sellout streak will be going to 376, thanks to some donors who stepped up, bought thousands of tickets, and then the university has created this program where they will be giving those away right. to some younger Husker fans along with their parents. Good deal there, although to me, I think you put an asterisk at the uh, sellout, sellout streak. Yeah. After 375. Well, Jason, this would not happen if the Huskers started 1-0. and And if you have a winning program... True, but, you know, COVID, COVID's still pretty hot down there in it, Lincoln. And talking to Sean Callahan yesterday, he, that's got something to do with it. Now, sure. You're not wrong. I mean, if, if they just showed up and won 56 to nothing last Saturday... Every, everybody, <laughs> We know Nebraska fans. The yes. ravaging Nebraska fans would be there regardless. Even if they had to wear the mask the entire game, it would still would be a sellout without money having to buy the rest of those tickets. So, listen, it's good that it's going to continue. Good for those kids that will be there. It'll be just interesting to see how long that happens throughout this year. We've got to hope that uh, things turn around, they start to play better, and the demand for those tickets rises again. All right, good stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much. This is Greg Sharp. Nebraska football welcomes back a sea of red to Memorial Stadium for its home opener this Saturday against Fordham. Catch the game on your 50,001 Voice of Nebraska Football, KRVN. It is time for Midday News. News Director Dave Schroeder stepping here inside the studio. And, well, Dave, uh, NPPD, uh, a, cruise, uh, a crew is uh, down in Louisiana going to be helping out those 
that need power once again from Hurricane Ida. Absolutely. Well, Hurricane Ida did make landfall, and of course, many are without power in Louisiana. Nebraska Public Power District responded to calls for mutual aid to help communities there restore power. Nebraska Public Power District spokesperson Mark Becker says crews took off yesterday. We've got uh, 16 uh, crew members, uh, includes a supervisor and a superintendent uh, to oversee the operations. We're actually sending a mechanic. Equipment does tend to break down sometimes, so we want to be prepared for that. But 16 uh, members of uh, MPPD did leave yesterday from uh, York in a big caravan. And uh, we originally were planning to be in uh, Baton Rouge and have moved us to New Orleans. Pretty much New Orleans is uh, pretty much... uh, without any kind of power whatsoever. Well, MPPD will be working with the energy company called Entergy, which has about 1.3 million customers in Louisiana. And at last report, they had about 880,000 customers without power. The number of COVID cases in Nebraska has increased in each of the past 10 weeks, and the total nearly doubled over the past two weeks as a highly contagious Delta variant of the virus continues to spread. Around 5,000 new cases for the week ending Friday. Analysis from data from the Federal Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, that's up from 3,700 the previous week and nearly double the cases recorded the week before. A Nebraska Legislative Committee has kicked off its effort to redraw the state's political boundaries, showing early signs, though, of an urban-rural divide, as some lawmakers question whether rural population declines are as severe as census numbers show. The one district in the remote Nebraska panhandle lost 15% of its population. A fast-developing Omaha area district gained 31%. So you can kind of see what uh, lawmakers are facing there. And U.S. farmers of color are battling in the courts to save a $4 billion debt relief program approved by Congress. Congress approved the debt relief for 16,000 farmers of color earlier this year. The funding was intended to remedy past discrimination in USDA loan programs. White farmers have sued, arguing that the relief is discriminatory. The USDA's history of discrimination is so pervasive that many black farmers call the government agency the last plantation. They are now fighting with the USDA to defend the debt relief program. And that's a check of the news. I'm Dave Schroeder. Tomorrow night, UNK football kicks off the season at home against Missouri Southern, and we once again will bring you all of the action from KRVN Sports. They won't catch him. T.J. Davis does it again. Touchdown. A 79-yarder. He's a blur. Hi, this is Jason Jorgensen inviting you to join Larry Cotter and me for the call. Our coverage starts at 6.30 with kickoff at 7. You can tune in on 93.1 The River, 106.9 at Kearney, and on the River app. California, ethanol, and Nebraska. It's a great partnership that's promoting corn growing right here in the state. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network from the Nebraska State Fair. Nebraska corn growers are working the beef pit today, so I snagged Dave Warner from Albion to tell me about the California workings of ethanol. Susan, the the trend is already picking up in California. It continues to grow. It will continue to grow. Um, Our trip was, I I can't only say it's fantastic. It, It opened my eyes a lot to what happens with Nebraska corn where it goes, what they do with it. Our West Coast partners out there 
are unbelievable. Man, they take a lot of Nebraska corn. If it's not for ethanol, then they're using it for the dairies or the beef cattle. You know, we we move a lot towards uh, the chickens for foster farms. So, you know, it's uh, it's just amazing how much corn that we move to the West Coast, you know, yearly. And if we didn't have that partnership, I'd hate to see what would go on in Nebraska with corn here and what our prices would be if we didn't have an outlet. You know, it really comes down to that education. And you guys went out there, and I understand some new ethanol pumps were being put in. So what a great place to showcase Nebraska corn to California agriculture. Yeah, Susan, it was uh, it was fantastic. We flew into L.A., and uh, we went around to some of the pumps that uh, we are supporting now for Nebraska corn. Um, we got to meet the owners, asked them how things were going. The trend is only up with all of those people on how much they're using per uh, month. Uh, some some of them are astronomical. You know, some are in that fifteen twenty thousand gallon range right now, but some are fifty to seventy thousand gallons a month, which is mind blowing. But you were right about one thing. They want clean fuel, and ethanol is is clean fuel. That's a great thing for them. They want to continue to do it. We're working with Pearson Fuels out of San Diego. Um, Greg Jones is probably one of the most smartest people I know. Talking with him and watching him with these customers on being educating these people for ethanol for E85. Um, it's a great partnership that we have with him. We will continue to grow with him with that. Um, I don't know. They're, they're wanting to put another 158 stations up in this next year if they can. You know, regulations for California, as everybody knows, is like a snail's pace to get stuff done. So it doesn't happen fast like it does here. You know, we can get stuff done, get permits in and, and in and out. For them, it doesn't work that way. So once they start with something, it could be... It could be a year before they get something up and going, but, you know, once they do, they just take it wholeheartedly, and it, they're, they're a class act to work with. Let's just hope that that excitement that you're seeing right now in California and got to see firsthand picks up for the rest of the country. You know, it seems like California kind of gets to be a trendsetter, even though we've been using it here in the Midwest. Maybe their excitement can spread. I wish, Susan, that we could do what they do out there i wish we could be as prolific as they are out there because they they know what they want you know they want clean fuel they are you know emissions out there you know how everything is with them on emissions and and vehicles and so you know they they're just taking it by the throat and they're as you would say and and they're they're going forward wholeheartedly with this and you know Electric cars are wanting to be a thing of the future out there, but seriously, if they're wanting clean air, you know, then they need to be using ethanol. You know, they're already having troubles with electricity out there, so I don't know how they're going to, you know, charge all these cars out there to go into to electricity. So, you know, ethanols are next best thing for them to work with, and we're going to work with them on that. My conversation with Dave Warner from the Albion area introducing John Crone. He's from Albion and now newly elected to the Nebraska Corn Board. He's also working in the beef pit. And we talk about his involvement in the Corn Board. 
Yes. Yeah, so thanks, Susan. Um, I'm very excited about this opportunity and kind of like you said, how Dave didn't run again. It is truly an opportunity that, you know, I was looking to get more involved with corn checkoff and just, you know, what does the actual Nebraska corn board do? And so I don't have all the answers today, but I'm looking forward to learning a lot. Had my first meeting um, about a month ago, so really enjoyed it. Let's talk a little bit about your operation and your involvement in agriculture. Yep. So, uh, raised corn and soybeans west of Albion. Um, been no-tilling for a lot of years, um, all irrigated, and uh, recent or a little more recently got into cover crops. So, mainly cereal, rye. After the soybeans, you know, prevent erosion, improve soil health, that sort of thing. What are some of your goals to have while you're on the corn board? So, I mean, the first goal is obviously, you know, just to get a good handle on it so that when somebody says, hey, you know, why why uh, is this a big deal paying my half-cent checkoff fee? It's, well, because, you know, we do, um, we promote Nebraska corn in so many different ways. And so, I mean, just to have a good answer to that and just to make sure that we are making the fullest impact that we can with uh, the investment that corn producers make in the Nebraska Corn Board. Conversations held just outside the beef pit with Nebraska corn growers working today in supporting corn and the beef industry. I'm Susan Littlefield from the Nebraska State Fair on the Rural Radio Network. Stocks are edging higher on Wall Street with gains from tech giants leading the way. With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. The S&P 500 was up one-tenth of a percent in early trading, and the Nasdaq was up five-tenths of a percent. Apple rose 1.7 percent. The muted trading came a day after the S&P 500 closed out August with its seventh consecutive monthly gain, its longest such winning streak since early 2018. Growth in U.S. manufacturing accelerated in August despite the fact that companies were still struggling with supply chain problems. The Institute for Supply Management, a trade group of purchasing managers, says its index of manufacturing activity rose four-tenths of a percentage point in August to 59.9. Manufacturing had seen a slowdown in July when activity dipped to 59.5 from 60.6 in June. Any reading above 50 indicates growth in the manufacturing sector. Energy says it's slowly restoring electricity in New Orleans after Hurricane Ida knocked out power to the entire city. The company says an unspecified number of customers in eastern New Orleans now have their power back on. The widespread power outages are hampering a number of refiners in the region. All told, nine Louisiana refineries, which collectively account for about 13% of the nation's refining capacity, were forced to close at least temporarily by the storm, according to the U.S. Energy Department. A new monthly survey of business leaders suggests the economy keeps operating at a healthy pace in nine Midwest and Plain states, but supply delays and shortages of workers are limiting growth in the region. The overall economic index for the region slipped to 68.9 from July's surging 73.1, but it still indicates strong growth. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob. In that- One of the popular stops here at the Nebraska State Fair is sampling sorghum cookies. They've kind of become a state fair tradition for so many. Hi, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. During the state fair, I caught up with the sorghum's executive director, Nate Bloom, as we talked about not only sorghum cookies, but the work sorghum's doing within the state of Nebraska. Um, yeah, hey, listen, the Nebraska Grain Sorghum Board has been providing cookies at the at the state fair for, gosh, 
probably about a long, as long as I've been alive. Uh, it's something we're really famous for. I've inherited it as the executive director. And I'm not going to lie. When I first started, I'm like, hang on, I'm the executive director. You want me to make what? Cookies? But I tell you what, we really like it. Um, we appreciate our friends over at Innovation Campus in Lincoln because we can make 45 batches at a time. And when you're making 5,000 cookies, that saves a lot of time. So, um, yeah, between the cookies and the cooking demonstrations, it's a great way to kind of be an ambassador uh, for agriculture uh, through, through people's taste buds. I don't think when people think sorghum, I don't think, they think, first of all, probably feed for livestock and that great syrup they put on their pancakes and their waffles. They don't think of all the different avenues that sorghum has and the roles it plays in this industry. Well, right. And, and the thing to remember, especially for your listeners who are maybe uh, gluten intolerant or have family members who are gluten intolerant, is that sorghum is gluten free. And the reality is that when it comes to uh, human consumption of sorghum, we're actually seeing tremendous growth in the industry uh, in that area. I know just the other day I was in Target and I saw two brand new flower brands that had uh, sorghum flour in it. Um, it seems like there has never been more demand. For sorghum flour, and just this morning, actually, I heard that uh, there's a tremendous, going to be a tremendous shortage of almonds due to water cutbacks in California, where 80 percent of the almonds are made. Well, guess what? A lot of the gluten-free products you find are, you are using almond flour. So, if we could provide an alternative here in Nebraska, that's a great opportunity for us. So, having said that, what is the sorghum production like in the state of Nebraska? Right. So this year we're at uh, 300,000 acres, um, which is still pretty small fish, but it's a 54% increase from last year. Opportunities coming up as well with some field days next week. Right. So uh, September 8th, Mike Baker, uh, who's our board chair at the Nebraska Grain Sorghum Board, he'll be hosting a field day down there in Trenton. We actually have uh, Miss Norma Ritz-Johnson, who's the new executive director of the United Sorghum Checkoff Program. She's going to be our guest of honor. And we're also going to have a group in from Washington, D.C., the U.S. Global Leadership Coalition. Uh, they're going to be uh, in, and we're going to be touring the state with them. They advocate for that 1% of the federal budget that goes to foreign aid. We work with them because that 1% of the budget that goes to foreign aid also helps open up more markets for Nebraska products. So we're going to be in Omaha, Lincoln, Kearney, uh, McCook, North Platte, Valentine. Norfolk and Columbus all through next week. So it's, it's a busy time of year, but we have so much fun. And finally, for somebody out there who's thinking, you know, I'm, I'm interested in raising and growing sorghum, what's their best avenue to go? Well, we have a lot of great information on our website, nebraskasorghum.org. A lot of what we do is consumer-facing, but we also do producer education, right? So um, last year with COVID, we had to do our symposium virtually. What that means is all that content is still up on our website. There's agronomy conversations. There's a, a digital field guide. All the information they need is there. And, of course, they can contact me at any time, Nebraska sor or, sorry, sorghum.board at nebraska.gov. Um, and if I don't have the answer, I'll get them in touch with the folks who do. So... Yeah, check us out. We're here to help. And uh, for those of you who are farming and thinking about growing sorghum for the first time or you're growing it every year, I work for you and I want you to be able to get a hold of me. And I'm on strong authority. They're going to be making sorghum corn dogs on Saturday here at the Nebraska State Fair. Nate Bloom joining us. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Playpen on the Rural Radio Network as we check in now on the closing grain trade with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago, publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. And John, a lot of red back on the screen here today. Really, it just kind of seems like we've been risk off here in the grain complex this week's up until this point. Is there still some th thoughts that maybe we can start to turn things around or we kind of need to go down and find some levels of support before we can turn things back around? 
I think they'll bust out all the spec a lot of the speculators who who got in, you know, fifty cents higher post USDA report. Um, you know, I think those folks get washed out, but I, I just think there's a lot of value here. Um based off what we don't know, you know, and, and uh, the short-term price action is, in my opinion, being driven by, you know, Hurricane Ida and, and the, the damage that's been left over just from a logistical problem. Like, if you have supply, I don't even know, you can't even make phone calls in, in some cases. So you have, you know, force majeure maybe being declared on some, some contracts. I think there's, you know, in the meantime, everybody's just selling to get out. So prices to look at in corn would be that, uh, you know, May low, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, yeah, the May low, which came like May 25th, uh, $5 we traded on December. Just touched it. I mean, we were there for probably a minute. And within a couple of weeks, by by June 10th, we were trading at 630. So I think we're, you know, in the area here where, where a low will be made. I, you know, I think we're there. I think in the next 10 to 15 cents, you know, you'll find some good buyers coming in. I think the market really wants to see China. Uh, if you're technical, you know, look at that chart gap down at 75, and that that that's probably what's going to scare a lot of people. 475, and, and speaking of in corn, so you know, those are downside targets in, in my opinion. They're not that far away, 50 cents uh, to the downside, really. And um, you know, this is the time of year where price tends to be weak. That's all the bearish case. On the bullish case, I look at foreign markets, global global prices continue to stay high, and like, how does that not help U.S. Like, I just have a hard time believing we're going to trade $300 a ton corn in Brazil and trade $200 a ton corn here in the U.S. It just doesn't seem to drive, in my opinion. Unless, of course, there's the structural issues I'm not seeing. And, John, just briefly, here we have about 10 seconds. When you're talking about the force majeure, we saw China not ship about 4 million metric tons of corn in the old marketing year. What happens to it now that we're in the new marketing year? Yeah, I think that's 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 all minutia to a certain degree, though. You know, it's it's I think the USDA reports hold a lot of significance, but I think in the short run, it's about a, a need for liquidity. And this is the time of the year where folks need liquidity. And I think in the same breath, you have a lack of a market in the export space that, that's really weighing things down. So that'll change, though. Um, this that is John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago. can always learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Do remember, though, trading futures options involve risk of loss may not be suitable for all investors. Thank you very much, Clay. That'll wrap up midday here on this Wednesday. Of course, catch the midday podcast sponsored by Duvenny Motors, available wherever podcasts can be found or KRVN.